As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome the athletic football show i'm robert mays joining me today it's our washington commanders writer at the athletic and a man who has been extremely busy over the last week or so it's ben standick ben thank you very much for doing this man i wish it was only the last week i was busy but yes i appreciate the uh appreciate the time robert we wanted to kind of take a step back from all of the draft coverage and really let this have its own moment within the feed and have an actual conversation about it because it's a huge moment and this feels different than sales that have happened recently. Even something like the Carolina Panther sale with Jerry Richardson that was kind of pushed forward because of his own actions and you know some of the controversy surrounding that. This is different because this is a multi-decade reign of terror that is now coming to an end. And I don't even say that as a joke. You know, my my first thought when I saw the news that the commanders had not been sold, but the process has kind of been kicked into high gear and probably going to a group led by Josh Harris, who owns the Sixers, was Man, good for people who love that fan, that franchise and good for people who love that fan base because for the last 25 years, since 1999 when Dan Snyder owned the team, they were dead in the water. I, I think among all the examples in professional sports of what bad ownership can do to you having a real shot, an honest shot to compete year in and year out beyond all of the moral <laughs> you know, kind of quagmires that this organization had kind of stumbled into – this was the best example of how much ownership can hold you back. And now we're potentially moving beyond that. And I have to imagine that there's kind of a sense of jubilation with people in the Washington, D.C. area that you're talking to, spending time around and how they feel about this right now. Yeah, it is. It is fascinating. I mean, I think it is going to take some people time to, especially those who walked away from this. I have so many friends and family uh, you, you can't see it if you're listening, but behind me, Robert can see it. There's a football in a glass case. When I was a fan of this team, I grew up here. Uh, that was from, I got that from our bar mitzvah. That was like, or about that part. It was from the, the, the team that lost the Super Bowl to the Raiders, all signed an autograph. Uh, it, it's still there because it is a cherished memory from my youth because this was the team that everybody in town cared about the most. And it resonated for many years. They were an example you know, they were the most valuable franchise, like in all the sports, when Forbes would put out those lists, 
They were that team. They had a season ticket waiting list forever. And now it has obviously all been completely reversed. Uh, Stands are empty. Uh, Like I said, so many people have bailed on the team. It, it It is remarkable that this has happened, but there is this glimmer of hope. I think Dan Snyder, until he's truly away, I think, and until there's a new owner and a new face, what maybe Magic Johnson pops in to uh, to an initial press conference or two as one of the people in Josh Harris's group, then maybe some people will will come out of their bunkers. But in general, yeah, I mean, it is a exciting time, especially Daniel Snyder is only 58 years old. I think people thought this could go on for a long, long time. Uh, it wasn't really until out of pure spite, maybe that the fact that he would just hold on for dear life until somebody pried it out of his hands. A hundred percent. I mean, I really don't think anybody thought that he was going to be selling anytime soon as of a, a year or two ago, but here we are. And I do think once this deal gets done, assuming it's heading, it looks like it's heading in that direction that, yeah, the, the, uh, I've been wondering where people will celebrate in town since it's a wide area. Is they going into to DC into uh, near, near, to, to you know, downtown DC? Are they going out by where the practice facility is? I don't know, but it's got to be something. Uh, this is going to be akin to like a championship parade. I would have to assume just people celebrating in the streets. I was in Chicago in 2016 when the Cubs won the world series. I was in Wrigleyville and just kind of stumbling out into the street after that happened. I have to imagine that that there's going to be a diet version of that when the sale actually goes through. So you talk about, it's kind of on the way to happening. Can you just kind of break down for people who aren't as familiar with the process, where things currently stand with the sale? Well, shockingly, because this is a Dan Snyder, uh, scenario. It's not straightforward. It's not. It's not being. It's not looking. It's going to be wrapped up in a tidy, neat way. There obviously there was a a, a a bidding process, an evaluation process by certain groups. You know, Jeff Bezos was rumored to have been mm-hmm. in the mix. I don't really know if that was if he was a strong contender as much as people thought. But in any event, two groups put up a bid, and it's the group with Josh Harris, um, who owns, as you mentioned, the 76ers, the New Jersey Devils. Um, another billionaire who's from this area, Mitchell Rails, and then other m- minority partners like Magic Johnson. That's the group that it has been looked like the front runner throughout. They are the ones who have now come to an agreement in principle with Dan Snyder, and they're going through the steps of the paperwork and what billionaires do when they're making <laughs> these kinds of deals. You're not familiar with that? Those those are my typical financial dealings on a yeah. day-to-day basis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, you, you look, you, your, your podcast is highly rated. <laughs> I, would imagine, I would imagine you are. Um, so what's unusual is, and I was talking about this with our business writer, Dan Kaplan, is that typically these groups, they, they, they come to an agreement, they sign off, they send it to the league, then the finance committee goes through it, and they have to you know evaluate all the potential new owners and things like that. What apparently is happening now is they have sent this agreement to the league. It is unsigned. The The agreement is not, or the, the conversation is not exclusive, meaning other people could still, in theory, come in and bid on this. There does not appear to be a, a, another truly viable group. There is a, a Canadian billionaire guy, Steve Apostolopoulos. Apostolopoulos, sorry, it's a tough one to say. I, I honestly just hope that doesn't happen for your guys' sake. I guess the owner of the Bullets has a long Greek name as well, right? It's not as bad. Leontis is not as bad as yeah. Apostolopoulos. Yeah. yeah. But um, it doesn't feel like his bid is as strong as the Harris group, so he's kind of been faded out, it feels. So it's unusual that they would send this to the league for a review before actually signing off and agreeing to it. There's a step or two in, in this agreement that may be a part of it, including 
Dan Snyder seeking indemnification from the league or from the new owner for any other issues that may come up, whether it's these lawsuits or investigations we're aware of or anything else. This is not something that, say, the Denver Broncos uh, new owners asked for or David Tepper of Carolina. So these are why this is taking a, a, a bit. It's an unusual path there. I think we're all hoping that we hear something in the next day or two or this week about this moving forward. I could That could be naive on my part to think it's that short of time, but I don't think Josh Harris is going to be waiting forever for this to get done. So that's kind of where things stand. And now we wait for the two groups in the league to say, yeah, you're good. Move forward. So what does that indemnification process look like in practice? Like Practically, what does that actually mean? In general, it means that if something comes up that Dan Snyder is not being held liable basically for these actions whether it's legal or financial now there are is that real is, is that is that something that these two groups can actually agree upon or are there outside parties like the league that have to sign off on that and are they going to do that so that that's my question even if the two groups are, uh, it, that are involved with the sale somehow sign an agreement that involves that indemnity does that apply to other groups that are going to be involved in the process somehow right so from what we reported yesterday, and, and kudos to Dan Kaplan for being the leader on this, is that with it, that there was an indemnification clause in this agreement that they have come to, which would suggest that Josh Harris is fine with some aspect of saying, fine, I'll take the heat, whatever that may be. Gotcha. Now, there are various investigations still open. That was going to be my next question. <laughs> how, right. how do those affect all of this? Right. And some of them are you know for po- relative pocket change type items i'm not dismissing the, if they get something wrong but relatively pocket change items for these people the ones that get confusing for me though are the ones where say um you, you know if dan snyder specifically did something so for example the mary joe white investigation this mm-hmm. has been going on for 14 months now the this is the, this was the investigation that was brought on because one of the former employees of the team accused dan snyder directly of harassment and sexual harassment towards her. He's, of course, said no, not, not the case. And then that investigation has led to other questions about their financial practices. And the financial practices part is spread out beyond Mary Jo White. But in any event, we're waiting on the Mary Jo White investigation to come due, and Roger Goodell has said he will make that public. If it's a direct act against Dan Snyder, if they're saying he's accused of something, I don't know how he gets indemnified for that. Like, that can't be a Josh Harris issue. That was kind of my question. So that makes a lot of sense. Is it there are different elements of this from which he would potentially be protected and which he would potentially not be based on what those findings look like when the Mary Jo White investigation comes through? You would think so, right? Like in the state of Virginia, there's two different uh, investigations. One is just a broad questioning of their finances. It's likely similar to, to cases that came uh, settled in D.C. and Maryland in which the organization withheld ticket deposits for many years. They were subsequently fined, but were, again, mm-hmm. su- less than a million dollars combined in both cases. So that shouldn't be an issue for Harris. But then there is also the Eastern District of Virginia is investigating this ESPN report from a couple of weeks ago about it, or ESPN reported this, that Snyder took out a $55 million line of credit while he still had three minority partners who he later bought out, but never told them that he did this, even though it needed their approval and so on. So the question about that and some other matters. Again, I don't know that that to me logically 
goes to the new owner or is that a, on Dan Snyder? That's the part of this where, you know, we need a lawyer here to, uh, to, to, to go through, but that's kind of some of the gist of what else is, is out there. Gosh, just behind every single door, there's like one more layer of just complication and nonsense. And I don't mean to make light of it. It's, it's just yeah. staggering when you think about the totality of everything going on with this organization and everything that's gone on for the past two and a half decades. So even with all of these hoops to jump through, do you feel like this is going to happen sometime here in the next couple of weeks or sometime in the ne- in the immediate future? I, I I do. Everything's been pointing in that direction. You know, Jason Wright, the team president. Um, first of all, like obviously, you know, people on the outside are probably aware to a degree that there's been just constant speculation about this sale in various ways. Who's who's the potential bidders? When's it getting done? Some people thought it was calling it was on the goal line a month ago. Things like that. There's only I would bet a small handful of people who really know what's going on, and that would be the Dan Snyder's like tight tight knit group as well as, you know, whoever, you know, the, the new bidders and things like that. There's not many people that know. Um, that said, like team president Jason Wright, going back to um, when Eric Bieniemy was uh, hired in February, said that this is happening, that this sale is going to happen, and that he's continued to say that. Others have as well. That's what gives me confidence that this will get done. Uh, again, <laughs> get done. It, 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 will this be cleaned up fairly quickly and, and done in an orderly fashion? Uh, you know, that's the part that, I don't know. And, and this indemnification aspect may be uh, a tipping point one way or the other. But I do feel confident he's going to sell, whether that's happening today, tomorrow, next week, next month. That's the part that we're uh, kind of waiting on. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, so let's live in this reality where the sale goes through. If you're Josh Harris and you're this new ownership group, let's go through some of the priorities that you now have and the things that you have to fix when you take over this organization. What is the first line item there for you? Well, I think for me, it's the fan base. It has just been completely gutted and demoralized and and even worse, like it's one thing, look, you know, you are unfortunately for you a, a fan of a team that has not had a lot of success lately. But it still seems like the Bears fan base is energized and cares about the team. The worst thing you can have is an apathetic fan base. And yes. that's where this group has gone through the years. That's why you see when they play like the Eagles or the Cowboys, those fan bases show up and dominate the stadium at times. So I think he needs to re-engage that. I think I, I don't see Josh Harris being a Jerry Jones type where he's out there, you know, all the time talking. But in the beginning, at least, I think it needs to just be presented as, hey, you can get emotionally reattached to this team. Um, Josh Harris grew up in this area. 
Now, so did Dan Snyder, so that can't be considered definitively as a positive. But Josh Harris did grow up in this area. At least he, from that perspective, he knows what this can be. And I think he needs to come out and, like I said, just show them, show everybody he's not that guy. We're, we're going to be a competent organization. We're, we're, those, those days are behind us. And, you know, again, Magic Johnson is a tremendous ambassador. To, to go from, not that Magic Johnson is the main owner, but to go from Dan Snyder and that reclusive it's dark a cl- presence. It just, yeah, it's a cloud. It is just yeah. a cloud of, like, evil that hangs right. over everything all the time. Whatever you think of Magic Johnson, like, it, it's the exact opposite vibe. <laughs> right. that, me- that meme where the two guys are sitting on the bus and one guy's looking at, like, the dark, cloudy thing next to him and the other guy's yeah. looking at that sunny paradise on the left side? That's what it feels like with Dan Snyder and Magic Johnson. Yeah, 100%. So, look, obviously the goal, you got to get people back, you know, buying buying gear and buying tickets and going to games and all these kinds of things. And plus, you know, also on the agenda item here is re re upping the stadium conversation. Mm-hmm. That was something that Dan Snyder, even when he was suspended, not suspended, told to stay away from the team, whatever, he was still allowed to work on that. And even within Virginia, Maryland and DC, it all eventually ran into the ground last year as all the negative, even more negative uh, conversations about Snyder took place. This needs to get started again. It's going to be a tough uh, conversation because there's no great answer, frankly. Uh, The preference by many is to put the stadium back in D.C. at the old RFK stadium site. But D.C., some parts of the D.C. government are in, some are not. It's federal land, meaning they have to actually get it from Congress before they can even do anything. It may not be big enough to put that with the, the mini city that all these owners want to do. That's the ideal choice. And then from there, you look at Maryland and Virginia as well. So I think that's is like the, the big DC hang up. Is that based more on how it will be funded or is that more based on just the practical elements of having a physical stadium in that space? It's kind of both. The, okay. the, it, we, I mean, we don't know exactly why, obviously what Josh Harris, if, if, if that's what, who's going to get the bid, what he's looking to do. Typically though, these groups are all now looking to do more than just put the stadium up. You know, they also couldn't move. The practice facility, at a minimum, the current facility is going to have to get replaced or ma- massively updated. But um, so the space is going to be tight. But you have like the mayor of D.C. is all in on putting a stadium there. The council, the city council, not so much the the, the community around the stadium. They're kind of out of it now. It's it's a, it's, a, it's probably about like a five ten minute walk away from Capitol Hill. Just for some some reference. Uh, a lot of those people are not interested. Uh, so that's going to be kind of the hangup. But again, this is the part where the Dan, like they have been working with the Dan Snyder tax on every front for so long. And perhaps a new face says, Hey, okay, we, we will change our mind. Josh Harris gives them whatever the pitch is and says, yeah, we we've got your back. Um, I mentioned this other partner, Mitchell rails, another you know, multi-billionaire from this area. He has been a huge player in the business community here for many years. He and his brother started a company that is like the biggest, I'm not sure if it's the biggest uh, in terms of like worth or the biggest in terms of employees or whatever it is. It's a huge deal in the area, the Danaher Corporation. He clearly must have some ties to DC government as well. Um, at least then there could be the normal conversation of who is paying for it, right? How much is being financed? How much is not? Or is it on the state, on the owner's? That's at least a normal deal. We'll see if we get where things stand on that front, but that's kind of the deal with DC. 
hearing your conversation with Rich Hoffman, who covers the Sixers for the Athletic on your podcast that you guys did last week, kind of talking about the Josh Harris experience, I believe he said that the potential private arena that they were going to build in Philadelphia downtown away from that sports complex was going to be privately funded. So it seems like they have gone down the road or at least start to have ideas about what a privately funded arena would look like in Philly. So potentially they would be open to a privately funded stadium for the Washington football team if it does come to that. And then the other element of that conversation that I thought was particularly telling is that, you know, Rich said, Josh Harris isn't involved in the day-to-day aspects of how the Sixers are run. And I think it would be hard to be. You know, he owns a hockey team. He, he owns a soccer team in the Premier League. If he has all these different things he has to worry about, it can't really be his pet project to have his fingers in the day-to-day workings of any one organization. So if he's going to be somebody who kind of puts the structures in place with this team that need to be in place for it to run smoothly, what does that look like for you? Is the front office going to look similar to the one it looks like right now? What is the status of Ron Rivera? How do the football things and the actual elements of the organization potentially change with this ownership change coming in? This is always fascinating, right? When you have these owners, they all made their money somewhere else. Then they come into the sport and have to learn the inner workings of this thing and, and hire people accordingly to do this. He's not owned an NFL team. That said, he's been a minority partner with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He looked into buying the Denver Broncos last year, and he is at least not a sports owner of Virgin because of these other entities that he has. He has some idea of what he's going to have to deal with. Um, In terms of the current people involved, so that's Ron Rivera overseeing the entire football side. Uh, I mean, look, even if Dan Snyder was still the owner, there would be questions about Rivera's job security, considering he's yet to have a winning season in three years here. Um, He isn't just, he's like, got one of these coach-centric deals. So he oversees the front office as well, or at least has final say on what they do. Um, I would think at a minimum, he probably would have to win, make the playoffs and maybe even win a playoff game to feel comfortable at all about keeping the job, just based on how these things typically work. Um, Ron Rivera is a very respected guy around the league, but the record is what it is. And he's also, even if you factor in Carolina, in 12 seasons as a head coach, they've had a, uh, he's had a, a losing, uh, 500, a losing record nine times. So that says a lot. Uh, so I wouldn't feel too comfortable on that end, but we'll we'll see how that goes. I the, the Jason Wright side as the as the president of the overseeing the business end, I think that one's a little more up in the air for me. Um, Jason Wright has came into a ridiculously tough spot at, as did Rivera, but Wright came in as the the house was already on fire. Yes. And and he was the one with the host and it was up to him to kind of take care of this thing, which was a no win situation for anybody. Right. But he also came into this, didn't have experience having done this. They've had a lot of blunders. We'll say on remembrances, celebrations, and each one flopped. Uh, It's been unsettling for some of the fans. So, you know, that could be something where Josh Harris, as you're saying, if he's not going to physically be here all the time, he may want his own people to be running the business of this place, uh, independent of what Jason Wright has done or not done. So I do think there could be significant turnover, probably not immediately, certainly not on the football side, but down the line, yeah, I, I think there could be some significant changes. 
it, it kind of feels a little bit akin to the Jeff Fisher situation with the Rams, where he was somebody who had been a head coach before, it's kind of a heady, steadier hand on the wheel as the team moved to Los Angeles. But when they got settled there and when it was time to kind of turn the page, they moved on from him. And obviously they went to Sean McVay and the rest is history. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me to kind of see a similar pathway for Washington after Harris buys this team and what the coaching situation looks like, let's say in 2024 or 2025. I wanted to ask you with kind of the moves or the lack of moves that they have made this offseason. It's been a very quiet offseason, essentially outside of the Duran Payne move. I mean, what's the biggest splash outside of Payne that Washington made this spring? Was it Cody Barton? I mean, yeah, I mean that's J- kind of Jacob- where we're looking. Jacoby Brissett. Yeah. So, but yeah. even Jacoby Brissett, that's a perfect example. Okay. So you bring in Jacoby Brissett. I think it's one year, $8 million. They have been open about. Sam Howell's opportunity to win that job. Do you feel like the stasis that the football, that the roster has found this spring, do you think that's partially a product of some of this uncertainty about what the next steps of the organization are going to look like? Yeah, I I think it has to be the case. I mean, there has been, so just to take as an example, let's take the Chase Young situation. He's got, they still have yet to pick up his fifth year option. They have until May 2nd to do it. Uh, way back during Super Bowl week, Ron Rivera let people know, hey, it's not a done deal. We're, we're going to look at this. We're going to contemplate whether we're picking this up. Okay. I mean, some people might think that's nuts because he was the number two pick in the draft, was the defensive rookie of the year. But since then, he's only had one and a half sacks in the 12 games he's played. And he missed a bunch of games because of a significant knee injury, came back at the end of last year. If you pick up the fifth-year option at $17.5 million, they've already paid a bunch of other linemen, et cetera. But – Ron Rivera recently, when explaining kind of where they are, said he would like to wait until the new owner comes in or that gets that situation gets settled to make a call on Chase Young. Now, I don't know if he's already made a call and he wants the new owner to play the bad guy or he really want, if it's going to push money, you know, if you're talking about money down the line, maybe he really does need to hear from somebody. So that I think that's an example of where they're at. It, they really have been pretty quiet, as you said, throughout Oddly enough, I don't think their roster has like massive holes. Let me put the quarterback issue aside. We can debate whether that's a, a proper move to go to the Sam Howell route. But they don't have they didn't need a ton of stuff, but they probably could have done a little bit more than than what they than what they have. So yeah, I think the ownership deal has put a uh, uh, a hit on on what they've been able uh, to do here so far. They were an eight eight one football team last year, and it just kind of feels like that's where we are again. You know, Eric Bieniemy is the big change. You know, the fact yeah. that he's going to be the offensive coordinator, but most of the roster, like we said, has stayed the same. They've retained some guys. There haven't been many changes. They, they literally have the most plug-and-play, steady hand on the wheel quarterback option available with which Jacoby Brissett. Like that's exactly what he is. There aren't a lot of holes, but there just isn't a lot to get excited about. And I think that's kind of where the state of the football side of this currently lies. Well, and and what's going to be so interesting, like obviously with the Josh Harris conversation, we're focusing on he's not Dan Snyder and <laughs> just kind of go from there. That's but enough, terms, man. <laughs> it, it is enough. But in terms of what he might do on the, in terms of setting up the organization on the football, and this is the guy that greenlit the process sure with the 76ers. Uh, I was a fan of the process. I know not everybody was, but I thought it was a brilliant attempt to, you know, manipulate the system that existed. And the NBA even changed the system later to not allow teams to do that. Um, he's also the guy that went out and hired when they got rid of Sam Hinkie, ultimately went out and got Daryl Morey to come in. 
Daryl Morey is the face of analytics in America, I would say. Or maybe, in sports, not. 100%. Sports, yeah. And that's a bold move. Even just and also get he went and got Doc Rivers, uh, who was obviously won an NBA title and has been a really good coach for the last, you know, couple decades. So he's not he's been aggressive, he's been sharp, he's been willing to think outside the box. And I think that is potentially exciting. Uh, I'm, no, I'm not suggesting he will have their, the commanders tank. You can insert the joke that they've been doing that for the last 20 years anyway. <laughs> but in terms of what he may look to do, I think it is inter- it is an interesting moment whenever he were to take over to see what's in his head about where this thing should go. Is Sam Hinkie-like figure being in charge of the football side of the Washington organization? is about as far removed as you can be from Ron Rivera being the figurehead of the football side of your organization, wouldn't you yeah. say? Yeah. I mean, Ron, one of the reasons why supposedly David Tepper moved on from Rivera and Carolina was that Rivera's not necessarily uh, an analytics guy. The I believe Washington may only have one person in their analytics department right now. And, you know, you look around the league, some places have, you know better than me, but, you know, a 10 or so. I mean, I have a real deep staff so that yeah that has not been i think they've inter- they've used it more uh, over time here but it's not uh it, it's not a go-to move it's not a natural inclination for rivera so yes i think that would be another thing that harris might take issue with or, or want to have a conversation about how do we you know move, move forward with this analytics is always a word that I think invokes a strong reaction from people. And and I wouldn't even venture to say that there will be an analytics centric choice, the GM, whoever oversees football for them. I think the choice will be intentional and I think they won't be afraid to make it a little extreme. That those are the decisions that they've made with other organizations. So even if it's not quote unquote, an analytics guy that they bring in, I don't think they'll be afraid to zag a little bit and kind of push things into a new direction. I don't disagree with that. I think one thing that's going to be interesting, though, for Washington this year is the Eric Bieniemy aspect that you mentioned. This is obviously his first big opportunity without Andy Reid. He has still not made it to the head coaching level. But is there a world in which, even if uh, the new owner wants to move on from Rivera for the things that we just said, well, what if Bieniemy gets Sam Howell to play at a pretty reasonable level and the offense is not an issue as to why maybe they don't make the playoffs? What do you do then? Like, because Bieniemy obviously has been a a lightning rod topic in the in the league now for several years. I, I I don't know where he's at on analytics, but that could be an interesting aspect to this as well. Uh, if he looks like he could be somebody, that was always one of the downsides and the dangers of taking this job is that the turnover and the changes potentially on the horizon could lead to a really short stint for Eric Bieniemy in that role and for that staff in general. And I think we could potentially be staring down that barrel. So. Ben, that's all I got for you. I really appreciate you giving us some clarity on this. I know it's a potentially naughty and a particularly naughty situation, uh, even with sales, which are obviously going to be complicated every single time. This one, as all things have been with the Dan Snyder era, is a slightly different beast. So really appreciate your perspective and for laying this stuff out for us. Robert, thanks for having me on. All right, guys, that's all we got. Thank you very much for popping by for what amounts to a little bonus episode here during our draft coverage. This will be out on Tuesday afternoon, early evening. So if you have not, please go listen to the Edge Rusher show that I did with Nate and Deontay a little bit earlier this morning. Really, really enjoyed that show. Talks about all the top guys in the draft. You can listen to that. We also chatted a little Jalen Hurts contract on Wednesday. Prospects Pros will be back with Dane, Lance, and Andy. It's going to be our last one before the draft. We're talking about the cornerbacks in this draft class. And then we will be back, me, Nate, and Dane on Friday, chatting a little tight ends. 
Until then, really appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.